Hey, today we're going to be talking about this concept called the spiral of silence. It was Bonhoeffer. He says, silence in the face of evil is evil, and not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act, and that God is going to hold us accountable. We're going to be talking about why is it that so many Christians in the church in general get paralyzed when it comes to speaking out. And we're going to talk about that high cost uh, of silence. The more people are silent, the higher the cost goes to speaking out. The more people speak out, the lower the cost uh, uh, to silence. And so we just want to encourage you today to think about what is it that's holding you back from being a radical, outspoken lover of Jesus and speaking out about the, the cultural ills and the things that we're facing in our society today. Again, you're not going to want to miss this podcast. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Hey, we never want to take you for granted. We're so glad that you take some time out of your day to, to share these moments with us, and we pray that this is incredibly helpful. Uh, again, I was just thinking about how this podcast was dedicated to uh, basically the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and that a biblical Christian worldview helps us make sense out of the craziness of life and all that's going on in our world. And of course, while we're uh, doing this podcast, Israel is is at war. We've been watching just the horrific uh, scenes on television, and and again at times like this when everything is shaken, I think people are looking for truth and they're looking for answers. And and again, I just am grateful that not that we're going to solve all the world's problems today or at any day, but it, the, our Christian worldview number one gives us hope, it gives us meaning, it gives us purpose. It's committed to truth. The truth is found in Christ, who's Lord of history, and we know where things started. We know where things are going and we know that Jesus is faithful in between and and that gives us an incredible advantage as I shared last podcast to to, to see quicker and to see farther and to provide some stability and, and answers in the midst of chaos. Absolutely. I mean, Christianity is a optimistic religion. If you start studying a lot of different religions, a lot of religions are very pessimistic or yep. neutral, cyclical. But yep. that's not so Fatal, with the, the fatalistic. fatalistic. Yep. Not so with the biblical worldview. Yep. It gives us the hope an aspiration to grow, to progress, um, yeah. um, and to become better and to grow. I love yeah. the writer of Hebrews said, you know, that uh, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But the beautiful thing is we are part of an unshakable kingdom. Yeah. And uh, and so in the midst of all the shaking that's going on even now, I'm grateful that, uh, again, there's an incredible sense of, of direction and wisdom and truth that can be found in Christ and in the Word and in His church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we wanted to pick up where we left off last week. We The, the, the topic of last week's podcast was 12,000 pastors. And, of course, that number is significant because it represented what we call the mushy middle uh, back in Bonhoeffer's day, there were 3,000 pastors committed to what was called the Confessing Church that drew the line in the sand that basically told Hitler, uh, this is where your power stops and where the church's authority begins and that the authority of Scripture would not be compromised. And and that basically uh, the, an entire race of people, the Jewish people in Germany, would not be canceled. The church could not tolerate that. Uh, 3,000 pastors you know, signed on uh, the Barman Declaration and stood for truth. On the other hand, 3,000 pastors completely aligned with Hitler and his uh, uh, Nazi socialism, and, um, and they were all about the Third Reich. But what was disturbing, and we highlighted this in last week's podcast, was that there were the vast majority of pastors, 12,000 pastors, just took a 
hey, let's sit on the sidelines and play it safe and kind of see how this is going to pan out. And the, the haunting question that um, Metaxas asks is what would have happened? How, could, how would history have played out differently if 12,000 pastors would have joined the 3,000 pastors? Now we've got 15,000 pastors who are standing with their congregations in unified opposition to Hitler. What might have happened differently? Maybe nothing, but it's hard to believe that that type of a majority, if they would have stood strong and unified and st- stood for biblical truth, um, that that there would not have been a radically different outcome. Yeah, because at that time, the, the church was so ingrained, for better or for worse, probably for worse, ingrained with the, with the government, that with 15,000 basically more voices speaking out against, it yeah. probably would have a significant impact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, if one speaks up, you know, we always say, this, one voice can make a difference. Um, but certainly the combined voices, again, not just the pastors, but their congregations, that's what's important. You know, right. if pastors are leading strong, if we're, if we're, uh, if our pulpits are prophetic, if we're speaking to the issues with courage, uh, it puts courage in the hearts of our people. Yeah. And I find that when a pastor is strong, then his People have a backbone, and they're speaking out in the marketplace, and they're speaking out in their schools, and they're speaking out at their universities, and and all of a sudden you have a, a, a powerful movement that's formed. That's the power of the pulpit. Um, and uh, and so let, let's pick up today. We didn't we didn't cover all the ground that we wanted to cover uh, in our last uh, podcast because Metaxas was saying that there were two wrong perspectives, and I, I want us to talk about this because we find this you know, happening in our culture today, two wrong perspectives. So there were much of the church, they were simply saying, you know what, um, the church is compromised and, you know, we've already sinned too much. Our culture is too compromised. Hitler's in power. And basically as a nation, judgment is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that view, that this kind of fatalistic view that says, you know, we can't really do anything because we're, as a nation, we're too far gone. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard that argument right. made of America. You know, we're, we're wicked. Uh, we've got the blood of, uh, of innocent unborn children on our hands because of the abortion holocaust in our country. Uh, we are the most sexually perverted country. We promote the most sexual perversion. We export it. We're the porn capital of the world. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and no one can argue with the truth of any of that. We are in a very dark and, uh, and morally confused and compromised place. But let's deal with the fundamental premise, I guess, of that statement. Is a nation ever too far gone? Right. Right. And I, I think, look at Abraham's approach when he was faced with Sodom and Gomorrah. He wasn't like, well, forget them. His yeah. approach was going to God and say, hey, can we redeem this nation? Is there any way? Uh, you brought up Jonah and Nineveh. Yeah, Nineveh was, I mean, Israel hated Nineveh. That was our arch enemy, right? And, yeah. and, and Nineveh was a dark and evil and wicked place. Yeah. Um, but again, God said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go send Jonah, and Jonah's going to right. preach the good news. And do you remember Jonah hated Nineveh so badly he right. didn't even want to go because because he knew he knew the heart of God he knew that that God it's was merciful yeah. and then if we just turn yeah. a slight bit if we just repent yeah. of our sins if we just acknowledge our wickedness yeah. that God can still restore 
and there's still righteous people in America. There's people Absolutely. praying in America. There's people crying out for the mercy of God. And, and, and I think this is a stern warning because if we lose hope, if we just fall into condemnation and judgment of the nation like everyone else, then, then, then what do we do? Do we just sit here and wait for the flames to fall from heaven, or do it, has God given us a calling for us to reform nation and and, and share the gospel and love and care for people and yeah. change the, the corrupt system? You yeah. know, but it, but it's a, it's a thinly veiled excuse for passivity and for doing nothing. Yeah, uh, because it, you know it, it relieves us of the responsibility. We stand back on our high moral high ground. We say, you know what. God's holy and righteous, and and look at this sinful nation. We deserve it, right? We deserve yeah. it. And so let's just, let's just do nothing, yep. and let's just wait for things right. to go from bad to worse. Right. And what what a terrible terrible position, uh, because again, it completely uh, blinds us to the mercy and goodness of God and God's pattern of restoration all throughout yeah. the Bible. What about loving your neighbors? Now, what about loving your neighbor's kids? What about my kids and my grandkids and and the generation on and on? You know, or taking responsibility for what we can do, not for what God's going to do. Like, we don't know what God's going to do. We can't, you know, we have to trust it. We know, we know he's going to do what is right and good and just. We have to take responsibility for what we can do. And, and that's what I think the point that, that Bonhoeffer was trying to make was, was don't sit back and just think that our nation's too far gone. Do something. Let's act. Let's, let's, let's take, it, take the responsibility that we have and do something with it. Well, if we, if you and I and our leadership here has that mentality, we wouldn't be building that building right now. Oh, absolutely. We wouldn't progress. We, 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 instead, building a bunker. You know exactly. So, so it makes a huge difference. Building bunkers or building worship centers right. or schools, you know, right. it, it, a lot of it though depends on your mentality. And so that's the, that's the one faulty theological error is that the nation's just too far gone. So let's just throw up our hands and wait for the fire of judgment to fall from yeah. heaven. You know, the other one is kind of a cheap grace alternative. It, it basically says, you know, God doesn't act the way that He used to. He He was a meanie in the Old Testament. He's so full of grace today in the New Testament. And, and, you know, Jesus just kind of turns the other cheek and he, it, the way that we live really doesn't matter. You know, um, if we're living sinful, compromising lives, God, you know, he gets us, he understands our weakness, you know, he's a forgiving God. And it's, and we play that card without calling people to, to, to repent of what we know is wicked and, and, angering God. You know, I, I'm reading in my daily quiet time through the book of Jeremiah. Wow, what an eye-opener. I mean, God is, is speaking loudly and clearly. He says, you guys have turned your back on me. You've rejected me. I've called you back over and over again. I've called you to repent. And basically, you're like, God, we don't care what you say. We're going to do whatever we want. Yeah. We're going to live however ever we please. And God's like, these are my covenant people. These are not even unsaved people. These, this is my church with this kind of sloppy agape attitude, like I'm just going to do whatever I want and I'm going to hope it works out in the end. That also contributes to your demise as a nation because God is holy and God is just and and how we live does matter. Uh, But both of these views taken to their uh, illogical extremes produce basically passivity. It it produces a, a, a paralysis in the church which leads to, to nothing. Right. And that's, so it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. What we say, we end up getting. Yeah. 
Um, and, uh, and so we ask the question, is America too far gone? No, America is never too far gone. So do we sit back and just, in, you know, business as usual in the church, we just keep singing our songs, uh, and, and we expect that, you know, the Lord's going to work it all out, and he doesn't need us to do any of it. You know, of course not. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're, we're the hands and feet of Christ. We're the vehicle of his redemption. God, God doesn't want us ever to sit back and just assume that somehow in his sovereignty and goodness, he's just going to take care of it without us. Uh, he absolutely needs us. And I think even when we, we talk like this, I was, th- this is a book I recommended last week by Erwin Lutzer, uh, When a Nation Forgets God, Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany. He tells a powerful story. Some of you may have already heard it, but I think it bears, bears repeating because it's, and this is not a story as if um, this is not a fictional account. Uh, this is not a parable. This is an actual testimony of a German Christian uh, and, and his experience at church during the Holocaust. He said, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? That's that fatalistic, right. what, what can we do so let's do nothing approach. A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning, we could hear the whistle in the distance, and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to the death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly and soon we heard them no more. He says, years have passed, and no one talks about it anymore. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who call ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. What a haunting story, but what a powerful you know, picture, I guess, metaphorically of, of what the church has done. We hear the screams, we can no longer ignore the screams, and so we time our worship service so that our singing of hymns corresponds to the passing of the Jews who are being sent off to be exterminated in, in, in Holocaust camps, right, and in, in ovens. Uh, and, uh, and so just so our consciences will not be be triggered and we won't have to deal with what we know is happening. We'll just sing louder and pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, and again, what Christian has not read that and wondered in our own way how we have not acted similarly? Yeah, it's a haunting picture. It is. And you can feel the tension of those people sitting in those pews thinking, if I go out and protest, I will be on the train. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? There's a cost involved. This is the real reality of their situation. But then you, you say, how do we even get there? How do how did the German government, the German church, uh, got to that point? You know, yeah. And 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 that's a it's a it's a horrifying picture. But it's also a a picture of the the lack of consistency in the worldview of a Christians. 
in which we get to a point in which we, we self-compartmentalize our faith to just seeing hymns yeah. and to lack of impact in the world, you know? And we're doing that even right now in America right now. I think that's the warning is, is in what ways are we doing that right now? And we need to stop that right now because at least we become in that, become, be in that similar situation. You well, know, you know, and you're exactly right. And I was just thinking, I struggle with the thought of, of being in that car. And you're looking out through a slat or something of the wood, and you see a church. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine that they're screaming louder because in their minds, they're like, those people in that building are our only hope. Right. If, if the church of Jesus Christ does not come to our aid, um, then where can we scream? Who, who's going to hear our cries? Yeah. And, of course, they just sang louder and, and did nothing. Um, that's, I think, the challenge that Bonhoeffer was challenging the church with and that Metaxas is challenging us with today in America. Where are we being complicit yeah. to the evils all around us, and where is the church not being Because if church? we're not standing up and basically exercise integrity of our faith or of our actions right now, we are similarly going down the same path in which when we speak up, we're not just losing social media followers. When we speak up, we're just maybe not losing congregation right. in our in our in our church. We're sent to the death camps. You yeah. know, and that's basically in other words, the, the, the cost of speaking yeah. now is not a lot for Americans. But this leads us to the topic of our podcast today called the spiral of silence. Um, Bonhoeffer is attributed with this quote. He says, silence in the face of evil is evil itself, and not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act, and God will not hold us guiltless. You know, Abraham Lincoln said something similar. He said, silence makes cowards out of the best of men. So back in Germany's time, the German pastors sought refuge in neutrality. And neutrality actually turned out to be complicity because neutrality simply meant we're going to stay, try to stay neutral. Now, there's a, there's a popular movement in evangelicalism called the Third Way. Um, it's basically saying we need to stay neutral. We need to get out of the culture wars because we're not helping the situation by picking a side. But the side we need to be picking is the side of truth. The side we need to be picking is uh, standing up for righteousness and standing up for Christ uh, on especially the moral issues. And being neutral or being silent is actually being complicit. In other words, it's impossible to remain neutral. There, there really is no—and in fact, we say this from a Christian worldview standpoint, neutrality is a myth. Somebody's idea will win. Somebody, you know, e- either it's going to be truth or it's going to be a lie. Some something will fill that gap, and neutrality is not an option. Staying or preaching the quote gospel. We've already addressed this, right? The narrow, false, just preach the gospel. In fact, we're going to deal in the podcasts that that are coming. We'll deal with one of the lies today, but we're going to be talking about four. Big theological evangelical lies that are embraced today uh, that lead to this this position of neutrality. So you're not going to want to miss that. But he introduces us to this concept called the spiral of silence. Uh, it was actually uh, introduced by a German sociologist and political scientist uh, by the name of Elizabeth Noel Newman. She coined it in the 1970s when she was writing about what had happened in Germany in the 1930s. And she was asking this question. She wondered why 
uh, or most specifically, why so few of those who had privately opposed Hitler said nothing until the war was over and the danger of speaking out had passed. And from this, she came up with this concept called the spiral of silence. And I love the way she defines this. It's really a powerful, powerful concept. It refers to the idea that when people fail to speak, the price of speaking rises. As the price to speak rises, still fewer people speak out, which further causes the price to rise so that fewer people yet will speak out until a whole culture or nation is silenced. Unpackage that a little bit for us. I love the, I love the way it's placed almost within a, a, a commodities or, or an investment or marketplace you know, uh, metaphor there. So the idea being, it's kind of like supply and demand, I guess. When there's a lot of people speaking about something, the cost of speaking about it goes down. But when there's only a few people speaking about it, and then there's punishment for those who do speak, the price goes up. And when the price goes up, some people are sitting back on the sideline going, wow, do I really have enough to make that investment to speak out? Yeah, it's it's we experienced that. And I feel like in a simulation the last three years with COVID, with the vaccine, with election stuff that that I mean, this is a tactic that um, the the elites actively use against right. I, I would, the masses. That's why I would consider you know? it was, this is the gaslighting, right? Gaslighting. There's thinking they make you think you're crazy. You know, I, I was talking to. You earlier about the experiment uh, I read about in the book Atomic Habits. It's another about, great book you guys should read. And I think we talked about that. Talk about the past, yeah. But but the experiment is basically how we're so easily affected because we're tribal creatures, okay? right? And the idea is like you know they do experiment in which you and I sit in a room and they'll ask us uh, obvious questions of yes and what's right and what's wrong, and like they'll, they'll they'll put two lines next to each other and say which one is longer, like objective truth. Like, right. no, so you no, could look at it and go, oh, obviously line B is B longer, longer than line right. A. And you agree with me, and we both agree, and then and then they'll keep going. They bring more people in the room, and basically they're testing. I'm the only exper- I'm only I'm the only innocent bystander. Everyone else is a plant, and they're all at, complicit. And now complicit. So when it's just me and you, I would I would disagree with you, you and argue that that line is is definitely like longer. In my brain, it's obvious that line B is longer, but you'll be like, no, line A is longer. And then and, if I add 10 people to you 10 people, who all tell me line A is longer, then I start questioning and, my... Yeah, then, then the, the innocent guy, the, the, the actual person experiment, start to question themselves. And, and more and more, as there more people come out, more and more this person will just agree with the group. And that was an experiment they did. Basically, it's an experiment on gaslighting. When more and more people disagree with you, even though to your eyes, to your brain, you're like, I know everyone's wrong. But because of tribalism, because of community, because of need right. to be accepted, we say less, we speak less and less truth. So it's interesting. We, we just had an unprovoked attack of the Israeli people um, by Hamas, a terrorist organization who did the most despicable things. Uh, I, just, I just heard the horrific account of them taking a grandmother's phone and videoing her torture and execution, and then uploading it on her account so that all of her family and friends could 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 watch yes. this horrific act. Um, there were babies having their heads chopped off. Um, there, there's a woman who was raped and abused and had her arms and legs broken and then thrown on the back of a truck like a piece of meat and paraded around the city. Now, 
anybody in their right mind, I don't care who you are, what political persuasion you're from, you should be able to look at that and say that is evil. This is outright despicable. What is being done is wicked to the fullest degree and, and should, be, should be stopped. And whoever did that should be brought to justice and should be executed. I mean, this is just common sense. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican. I don't care what side of, of, of whatever you're on. This is objective evil. And yet what is amazing to me is we're in a culture today where, first of all, the gaslighting takes place. Just the opposite twist is brought about. The Israelis are made to be the enemies and the evil people. Uh, all this behavior is justified uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. But, but the point is something as clear and obvious and wicked and perverse as that we now ha we had a group at Harvard coming out and, and being pro-Palestinian and saying that this behavior was justified. Um, and again, you just you just sometimes you look at the media and you're just going, "What world are we living in?" Um, but it's a tactic; it really is. It's a tactic to silence us. And if you see all these other people that seem to be saying loudly and they're parading the streets and they got their banners and they're chanting, and they're all saying this is good, it makes you pause for a minute and go, wait a minute, am I, am I nuts? Have I lost my mind? Um, and should I even speak out? Because now I'm not sure, wait, maybe what I believe isn't right. You know, I mean, this is, this is the tactic. And, and it, was, it was happening during Nazi Germany. It's still happening today, and it will happen till Jesus comes. Yeah, it's, um, it's we we have to understand understand the schemes of the enemy, and when I say the enemy, I mean the the spiritual forces. Yeah. But but using people to do their work, that's what they do. They gaslight. We use the word, that word gaslight so often now, right? Yeah, I you didn't know, even know what the term I didn't know what, until, until recently, yeah, yeah, until a couple years ago. But that happens all the time. They will blatantly say something that didn't happen when you saw it with your eyes. I remember on January sixth that famous event. That day, I saw videos of police officers opening the gate for yep. people to come in, greeting people, yep. and then everyone's telling me they're writing. I'm like, how could they be right? How could that be an attack if the, the 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 doors are open for them, the gates are open by police officer? Like those police officers should be held accountable if that, that that's right. a part of the whole situation, they right? Were, then they must have been part of the insurrection. If that I, was I don't an understand. Like that that makes no sense to my eyes. But you're telling again. But you're telling me what I saw with my own eyes is unreliable. Or you're hiding the evidence. Right. You know, what, what gets me is you got the, the highest watched news uh, program uh, by far, which was Tucker Carlson. Mm -hmm. And he just starts simply showing the video so that people can watch it. Right. And why, for, uh, this makes no business sense. Why for a news network would you take your most watched, most popular host on your network that's making you money and making you by far the most watched news network? And fire that person. Right. There's, there's got to be some evil agenda behind all of this because that doesn't even make sense in the marketplace if you're just out to make money and be the, the most watched show, right? Um, so obviously there's, a, there's an underlying com uh, complicity, an evil agenda, because we're not even allowed, first of all, to see the data. And then when we do see the data and we go, wait a minute, that's not fitting the narrative, then you're shamed into silence or you're canceled, or you're right. fired, right. Um, or whatever, your, your career is attacked. 
And, you know, you were just talking about Joe Rogan, of course, the most watched pod or listened to podcast. Talk about what, you know, your observation. We were just talking about that before the podcast today. Yeah, I mean, I... Because he's recognizing, hey, the, you know... <laughs> It's, it's interesting because it popped up on my YouTube feed, you know, and and uh, I don't listen to Joe Rogan on a regular basis, but it, popped, it was like a 10-minute clip. And I just listened yeah. to some of it. Basically, he's watching what's going on in Israel, and through his own word, I mean, he's freaking out because he's here all the craziness going on in the world. He sees all the conspiracies. He sees these power, the power players. Brokers, yeah. Power brokers don't care about lives. They don't care about truth. And he hears all this. And Joe Rogan's by no means a Christian or believer, yeah. not that I know of or anything like that. And his response is basically, I'm freaking out. And I'm just thinking, Joe, and come I on. just say, you know, yeah. the Bible does talk about when, when, when things are shaken like this and there's instability, you know, it happens in times of world wars and, and all this. I mean, fear grips people. And when fear grips people, they're looking for a savior with a small s. They're looking for a savior to come along and restore peace and order and normalcy. And they'll give up a lot to make that happen. Yeah. Or they will freak out and, and basically sell out uh, at any cost to return things to peace. When sometimes... Getting to peace requires doing difficult things, right? Making sacrifices, standing up for what's right. Um, so people, you know, when fear takes over and mass hysteria takes over, uh, people will sell their souls, literally, uh, for some return of normalcy. So I understand why a a host of a very popular podcast who doesn't know Christ would be, you know, freaking out a little bit here and being frustrated. But right. what's the difference between... The Joe Rogan podcast and the Ron Johnson discipleship <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, probably a few million, a few million listeners. But besides that, besides that, right? Besides that, coming after you, Joe. No, uh, besides that, is is because our we have our hope is not in these elitists. Because I look at history, elitists have always been in charge of history. You know, you look about darkness in America. Look at what happened in England before you know. Uh, before the revival that came on the yep. Wesleys, and yep. they were dark, if not they were, if not worse, you know. And God came and rescued them and saved them and and, and redeemed them. God is always at work, and we have an optimism that's based on not just you know wishful thinking, but yep. based on a coherent worldview. We have a Savior that can overcome everything, and based on that, we have a plan and we have a vision yep. to make our world better. And that's when I'm like, Joe, come on, man, you have such a platform, make yep. the world uh -huh. better. Don't uh -huh. just don't but there. But therein lies the problem, and I think it was the problem with the church in Germany. Uh, success is our our biggest enemy. I've seen it in the church. When when pastors start asking this question, um, or start thinking this way, you know what? If I speak out on this issue, I really have too much to lose. We're successful. Things are going great. Our church is growing. We're the church in town. We're the church where all the cool people or successful people go. We're 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 a leader. Um, we're the we have the biggest congregation. I have a very nice salary. I live in a comfortable home. I have a retirement fund. Um, things in my world are going really great. Why would I want to stick my nose and talk about something that is a biblical issue and a moral issue, but a controversial issue? Why would I want to bring that kind of focus or, or uh, attack or ill repute on our ministry? And so you look at a, at a guy again like Joe Rogan, and if, you know, I've heard people say, you know, certain people, hey, they're truth seekers or they're, they're trying to be straight shooters or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, at the end of the day, truth has a price tag. 
I mean, truth, Jesus Christ was truth embodied. Yeah. And they nailed him to a cross and tortured him beyond, and beat him beyond recognition. That was truth with a capital T. That, that is Jesus Christ. We're, we're naive as followers of Jesus to think that the, that the price for standing up for truth is not the same. Yeah. And once you got to see what Hitler was doing to his enemies, you did not want to be on that list. And we can talk all the bravado we want, but when you're looking at a lot of our brothers and sisters are across the globe, being a Christian comes with a high price tag. Um, and, uh, and many people, when they step back, if they're, especially if they're, if they're in a place of personal comfortability, why in the world would you want to risk your job, your status, your income, your house, your wife, your nice kids, your car, your dog, your way of living, why would you sacrifice any of that right. um, for truth un unless you are committed to Jesus Christ and committed to that at all costs? And you see the bigger picture and you realize this world is passing away and some things are more important than life itself. But right. but not a lot of people get there, and you know, and I'm, I'm 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 even as I'm saying this, I'm saying, Lord, may may we be found faithful, uh, may we not shrink back, may the very may the very issues we're raising today never be said or spoken over us, and may we be willing to stick our neck out and stand for the least of these and stand for truth. And 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 you don't wait at least to establish that type of integrity, that type of moral, that courage. You don't start the day when the government is going to send you to a prison camp if you speak right. out. You start today. Right. You start building that courage muscle today. You start asking yourself the question, today when there is not that crazy conflict facing me, am I living for Jesus today? In my workplace, am I bringing God's kingdom in the small, courageous things I need to do, such as maybe face an employee or maybe I need to fire, I need to hire somebody? Yeah. Am I doing that on the day-to-day -day basis now and not have to wait for that huge thing to come because you won't be in shape for the 300-pounders when you can't handle the 5-pounders? Well, during the pandemic, I mean, we, we said uh, any government that mandates mandates you do something, mandates that you inject something into your body, that's already a government that's on the on the fringes of tyranny. Now, they might be saying, do this for your good, but if they're forcing you to make choices that are really a private personal choice uh, based on your con conscience, they've already crossed the line. And so we were telling people, do not take the jab for that reason, because if your if your livelihood is hanging in the balance on whether or not you are complicit, you've already lost the battle. If you'll sell out for your paycheck now, you'll sell out for a whole lot more later. Um, because you know if your if your current job is so big that you will not stand up on principle and say no, I refuse to do that. And we had many many military people that did that, and they they were you know discharged dishonorably. A lot of them are being restored now. But I take my hat off to people who said, you know what, I, no, I'm not going to let you trample on my conscience, because if you'll if you'll take an inch here, you'll take a mile down the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the same thing we encourage people, keep your business open. Say no, st keep your business open, because if the government can shut you down during a crisis and destroy your livelihood, what can't they do? I mean, uh, you're, at some point, you know, they were coming back with handing you, handing you a check, but your business is already destroyed. Right. Um, these are the kind of decisions that are very real decisions that we're making right now that will lead to much more serious decisions later if we don't draw a line in the sand. Yeah.
Um, so here's the point. If you do not speak, you're not being neutral. You're actually contributing to the success of the thing you refuse to name and condemn. Contrarily, it follows that those who speak out make it easier for those to speak out. Just as cowardice begets cowardice, courage begets courage. Either we help evil or we fight evil. Either we speak and thereby help others to speak the truth, or we cower in silence and thereby lead others to do the same. Perhaps the main question for most of us is whether we're willing to pay the price of speaking and acting. So back to our buddy Joe. If Joe actually stands up for truth and starts speaking out on these things, he will have the elite establishment, the ones who are writing the scripts, you know, I was, I, we were just saying in Canada now, the Associated Press in Canada has been told you cannot refer to Hamas as a terrorist group. So, so here's what I would say to all the journalists. You guys are not journalists any, any longer. You're not free thinkers. You're not pursuing truth. You are propagandists. You are reading from a script. If you don't say this or else you'll be fired from your job. So, you know, the true spirit of journalism, right, the, the, to fight for the little guy, to speak the truth, to expose both sides, you know, expose corruption, those days are gone. We're being handed scripts now on how we can, the language that we're allowed to use to frame Absolutely. what's happening. I mean, it's a joke. I mean, I would call out all journalists and say, uh, do you guys have any courage to be who you've been called to be, or are you just propagandists, you know? Uh, the ones that do stand up for truth, I just saw like Sage Steele on ESPN, um, uh, again, commend her for her courage. She basically said, enough is enough. I'm not going to let woke ESPN uh, begin to tell me what I can and cannot say. And she's pointed out the hypocrisy of that organization, and, and it cost her her job. Sure. But she's suing them, and I'm saying, yay, that's what we have the courts for. Yeah. Uh, that's why we go to court. Uh, so in the time that we have left, which is not much. In fact, I think we're out of time, are we not? <laughs> All right, let's do this. He, we'll introduce this. He, he basically says there are four big fat lies that the evangelical church is swallowing. Yeah. And, um, and so in the uh, podcast that follow, we're going to address this. And I, the reason I think these are so important is because these are, the, these are the statements that the evangelical church uses to uh, support its um, complicity, its neutrality. It's, it's used a strong word in some cases, it's cowardice. You know, when, when you can create your stance based on a, a false theological premise, it, it, it comforts your conscience uh, while you remain I- inactive and while you watch culture literally go to hell. It, it's, just, it's, it's kind of in a sick way, a, a soothing form of uh, uh, helping you, you to sleep at night, all right? You were, it, it's the, the, to use the example we gave in the German church, it's our ability to sing louder uh, while we continue to lose our culture, and, and, and it costs people's lives and, and eternity. So uh, we're going to talk about those four major theological lies in the podcast that, that are ahead, and I hope, uh, I hope you'll, you'll tune in. And these are the kind of podcasts that, uh, because, again, we're speaking about stuff that's happening right now. I hope you'll share this podcast, like it, share it far and wide. Uh, remember, we're after Joe. Help us catch him. Uh, we promise you we will use the influence God gives us to tell the truth uh, and, uh, and to stand up for what's right. So thank you again. We'll look forward to being with you next Thursday.